The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's podcast. Alex and I had a lot of fun this week talking about internet trolls and just the assholes who just won't mind their own business about what you do in the martial arts. So sit back, have fun, and I hope you enjoy. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Alex, how are you, brother? Doing really well, man. It's good to see your face again after all this time. Listen, when is it not? You should probably hang a picture of me in your house. Just to... Who says I don't have a picture of you in my house? <laughs> I see, this is scary. I knew about the one in your bedroom, but it's all throughout the house? Actually, I think, to, to, truthfully, I think I have a photo of your arm in my room because remember last year we had the big banquet for uh, my 15-year anniversary? And, sure. and there was a photo that we, we had a professional photographer and they snapped a photo of me at my table with uh, my daughters. And I think your arm is like halfway in it. So, so your <laughs> arm is actually in a photo that is uh, framed on the wall in my kitchen. So definitely a hallowed place of honor in my home. <laughs> And you know what? It's kind of befitting of the kitchen. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to, but the last podcast, as many of our listeners know, was kind of a special one. I did an interview with Matthew Polly, who is the author of Bruce Lee, A Life, which is the new uh, Simon & Schuster biography about Bruce Lee. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I know that you are a JKD guy. You're not necessarily like a Bruce Lee guy. Um, but uh, the book, I have to say is really amazing. I mean, I talked about it in the interview, so I don't want to sound too repetitive, but it's, um, I've read it twice of all the Bruce Lee biographies. The reason I like it is because it's not taught from, it's not, um, written from a biased standpoint. It's very factual. It's very neutral. It presents a very fair and open case about Bruce Lee kind of on all sides of his character. And it shows, uh, his, it, it, and it's a straight, it's a linear biography. So it tells his entire life story in like a lot of detail. And it even quotes Steve Golden in there, by the way. 
Really? Yeah, it does. Uh, when he talks about, uh, so he's got a chapter on uh, that period of teaching Jeet Kune Do, and then uh, he talks about how basically he had gotten a number of Ed Parker's former students, mm-hmm. and um, and that there was a time period where Dan Inosanto, who used to be, I guess, one of Ed Parker's head instructors, was kind of doing double duty, you know, both both at Ed Parker's school and at Bruce Lee's school, and then eventually they all just quit and went solely to Bruce's school. And uh, that there was a little bit of tension, like those guys were Ed Parker's turncoats. And then he had a quote from uh, Steve Golden. I don't have the book in front of me right now, but it was basically something to the effect of, well, at that time, Ed Parker was going around hanging out with Elvis and going here and there. So really, who abandoned who at that point, right? Right, yeah. Steve likes to say he didn't leave Ed Parker. Ed Parker left that. Right. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty cool that Steve was uh, quoted in the book. And it's a very thorough biography. And although, obviously, people... You know, people like Bruce Lee for different reasons. There are some people who are enamored with the Bruce Lee superstar, which is basically what he became in the last two years of his life. You know, it's like everyone, people have made like a whole cult following about the two years, last two years that Bruce Lee was here, that superstar Bruce Lee. And other people are really into the martial arts, the JKD, all that kind of stuff. And some people like, you know, just Bruce Lee in general. But this book kind of covers everything with a very kind of fair comb. But what's interesting is it goes into his death, which is something obviously some people get very into because it, it is kind of a kind of an amazing thing. But uh, his biography actually tells what I believe to be the most credible and thorough version of why Bruce Lee died. And, and he consulted with medical experts and they talked about all sorts of things and and without trying to make it sensationalistic it was just it was just really it was just very thorough and i encourage everybody to go on amazon and get it um and matthew told me that his book is now the and i, I double checked it's the number one bestseller in the martial arts category on amazon and he goes wow that's he amazing goes, he goes i even knocked tao of and tao of jeet kundo was like consistently either number one or in the top five or something and he's like after 40 years i finally knocked bruce lee off his perch with a book about him <laughs> so that was like kind of funny like <laughs> so that's uh, cool yeah i would definitely i mean it's like 600 and some pages but it's a it's like a three wow. it's like a three-day read because it's it's written in, in in a very fun way and in the back it's got all the the notes and the references it's almost like the dvd extras where you can go in the back and see what where he got oh, the wow. information so unlike like tom bleaker's book unsettled matters um matthew actually tells you exactly where he got all of his information what interviews what newspapers what mm. quotes so you're not listening to somebody's opinion about bruce lee it's very i mean he researched it for six years it's it's very thorough that, you know, that's that's a really interesting. Like, like yeah, you're right. I, I never really was a Bruce Lee guy. I was always more of a JKD guy, and I know some people don't separate the two, and, and that's cool. We all kind of like what we like, you know. Um, and I've had times where I would be Bruce Lee dorkish. Like, oh, I kind of like want to learn about Bruce Lee. Yeah. And I think just being involved in a JKD community for so long, I think I just maybe had an overload at one point of Bruce Lee. Right. And I was just like, you know what? Enough. It was. It was just. It just wasn't my thing, you know. Yes. I'm more. I'm more of a Sherlock Holmes guy, and and, and I'm a dork about that. Freely admit it, you know. But uh, but like it's like I think we, think we were chatting about it. We're gonna let you bring me back to Bruce Lee kind right. of thing. Well, I think I think it's understandable. Like you know, if if you really appreciate Jeet Kune though as a martial art, as a philosophy, as an idea. 
it is it is a standalone amazing thing. I mean, yeah, Bruce Lee created it, but it's something that you can really go into. And but there are a lot of people that kind of follow the cult of Bruce Lee and they use Bruce Lee essentially to justify anything. So I mean, depending on your point of view, you could use Bruce Lee to justify doing Wing Chun traditionally, doing Wing Chun untraditionally, doing mixed martial arts, doing JKD the way Bruce Lee did it in 1968, doing Jun. Like, you can, like, what what they call, they call it quote mining. You can literally right. mine any quote you want from Bruce Lee to essentially justify doing anything. So then Bruce Lee, like, a lot, like almost like a religious figure in and of himself, he gets misused for people essentially to... Uh, you know, for people's own aims, you know, and it's understandable why if you really like Jeet Kune Do, why you could actually have an adverse reaction to Bruce Lee because of what he has become and how he's been used by other people. Right. You know, there's a Bruce Lee quote to support anything. Right. And, he, you know, listen, he was a philosophy major. He wrote everything down. Yeah. And he and, and a lot of stuff is contradictory. And, like, that was a great term I've never heard before, quote mining. Yes. You know, if you really want to, you can take almost any position that in, in Jeet Kune Do and find a Bruce Lee quote to support your your opinion. Absolutely. And I had that thrown at me so many times for so many things yeah. that I, I just think it left a bad taste in my mouth. Right. And I would eventually, for me kind of separated the art and the person tons of respect for the man he was a brilliant martial artist he's my sigong in in in, in and I, 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 incredible amount of respect for what he did but i care more about how he understood timing and how he understood distance control than i do so much about what schools he went to right and you know which instructors did what with him and sure. was guru dan more of a friend of his than ted wong like like that kind of stuff may be important to some people and i respect that just to me it never really was you know right, right. it was more about the the art and philosophy as opposed to the biography sure sure well, I think that understanding, though, the biography explains a lot about the art and philosophy because you, you, when you know about his family and his upbringing and uh, also what Matthew Pauly did, which I thought was really great, is by um, basically he said he had something like, I don't know, how, like how many thousands and pages of notes he had taken, right? And, and then he kind of basically put everything in a linear biography. He figured out the exact timeline that Bruce Lee had studied Wing Chun, which has always been a little bit um, obscure because Bruce has been, you know, said he started when he was 13. But that actually doesn't jibe with a lot of like what we know about when Bruce Lee learned. And, right. and basically, Bruce Lee did not learn Wing Chun until he got kicked out of LaSalle for, of all things, pull, pulling a knife on his PE teacher. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he was, you know, what's interesting and what, what really put into perspective for me is that Bruce Lee was already, a, we all know that he had gotten in a lot of fights when he was younger because he was basically a street tough who was rebelling against his father most of the time. 
before he learned Wing Chun, he had already had a lot of street fighting experience. So people will talk about, oh, well, Bruce Lee didn't learn for a very long period of time. But what they don't understand is before he came to Wing Chun, he already had a lot of street fighting experience. And when he started learning Wing Chun, he wasn't in there to learn the details of the Tan Sao and the third part or whatever. He was there to learn to fight. And so right. he was just using what little Wing Chun he knew, and he was already going in there and, and trying it out with other people. So what he did know he could do really well, he learned Wing Chun for three years. Mm -hmm. And and because it was after he got kicked out of LaSalle uh, and before he... Uh, oh, sorry. Um, LaSalle, no, St. Francis Xavier. It's when he got kicked out of St. Francis Xavier and then he went to LaSalle. Because then he met William Chung and William Chung introduced him to Yip Man. He didn't know William Chung until he went to LaSalle. So, so it was interesting because it, it, it was like, oh, that totally makes sense. And that was the exact time period that he had learned Wing Chun. And, and what was funny is you see Bruce Lee's ego in there a little bit because... When he started learning from Wong Sun Leung, Wong, one of the first things he said to Wong Sun Leung very early on in his training was, when am I going to be better than you? <laughs> so, and, and then, of course, a few years later, he leaves and goes to the States. And even though he, okay, he, he gets some mild success with the Green Hornet and teaching and knowing this guy, when he comes back to Hong Kong some 12 years after he came to the States, he still wanted to see if he was better than his seeing. It's like it didn't matter that now... 12 years later he was the biggest star in Asia after the big boss it still right. mattered to him whether he could best Wong Sun Leung or not <laughs> you know what I mean so that's and, and that's kind of interesting because that drive tells you a lot about him so I find that uh, knowing more about the biography explains a lot about the art, about his older brother, um, Peter, and how he was a fencer and how much that influenced Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do idea, you know, and, and, and to know exactly then where that came from and then why he got into it, it kind of puts the pieces together quite a bit. And so... Um, That's interesting. Yeah. See, how that interests me. Yes. That, see, that I find interesting. Um, also, like, for example... The, even though this is more of a movie-related thing, his fight with Chuck Norris in Way of the Dragon, it was right. highly influenced by the second round of a Muhammad Ali fight. Because Bruce, like, there was one of Muhammad Ali's fights, I think he may have still been Cassius Clay at that time, um, where he fought, and it wasn't like the Sonny Liston fight, it was another fight that he had, I forget the guy's name. Uh, it's in the book. And right. the second, and, and I think Muhammad Ali put the guy away by round three. And Bruce loved it so much. And you know, Bruce, of course, was a right lead guy. So right, right, he would right. watch the film in reverse on the wall so he can mimic it, right? He loved it so much, and he considered that fight such a masterful display of footwork and timing. He essentially used it for his fight with Chuck Norris. And after reading that in the book, I went back and went on YouTube, because now we have this amazing thing, YouTube. I go and I looked at the fight and saw the second and third round and went, holy, like, if, if you take away the kicks... You're looking right, at right, that right. fight, and then you realize what what was Bruce Lee watching that was influencing him. Because the book tells you what books he read, what fights sure. he watched, and then you see that and you go, ah, this was what he liked, and this was, and it just it, it starts to put things into perspective. His combinations with the low and then high and the hook and everything, and 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 moving out of the way of the jab and countering with the hook. That was all from that Muhammad Ali fight, and then you go, that's right, where you right. got that idea from it. And so I find that it helps the understanding of the art quite a bit. Sure, yeah, that's that's see that like that I find very interesting. 
That see, I mean, you really got me now. I'm gonna probably just order the book tomorrow. That's uh, well, it's the truth. I mean, because I mean, I I do I, I I it's a book. It sounds like a book I should read. That's uh, have you? It, did, it is did, a, did you ever read Tom Bleeker's book? No. Uh, so, uh, but you know about it, right? I, yes, I know Tom Bleeker. Okay, all right. So, I want to I want to hit him with a bat. So, one day, so uh, uh, for 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 those of you out there who don't know, uh, I'll just give the short end of it. Um, uh, Tom Bleeker was somebody who uh, apparently uh, he, he had even met Bruce Lee at some point, but the uh, a number of years after Bruce Lee died, I think it was the late 80s, something like 1988, Tom Bleeker ends up marrying Bruce Lee's widow, uh, Linda Lee. And they had a very short marriage, and apparently they met while they were working on a Bruce Lee book together. Maybe he's some author or writer or journalist or something, I don't know. And uh, during his short time married to Linda, it seems that he had like ta- he had looked at a lot of the files and notes and things available on Bruce Lee that she had, perhaps things about the insurance policies uh, about Bruce that were on Bruce Lee's life at the time he died, and some stuff about the medical records and things like that. And he wrote this scathing book after he divorced her in the mid '90s called Unsettled Matters, and it was basically like. Um, you know, mostly centered around Bruce Lee's death, but mostly centered on making Bruce Lee look somewhat like a, a, a raving lunatic and like right. like someone who is just out of control and crazy and stuff. And it's not to say that some of those things may not have been true, but the, the, if you consider the source, it definitely seems like it might be a bit biased. But I read that book when I was 18. I was almost in tears because <laughs> until the time I was 18, I mean, Bruce Lee was my childhood idol. And I didn't right. care about him having an affair with Betty Tingpei, but then you hear him like, oh, he took drugs or he did this or that. And it was really diff- – I read the book, but I, I'd be like in tears reading the book, like, ah, ah, like turning the page. <laughs> like, ah. And then, you know, I, uh, g- going to his grave because I lived in Seattle at that time. How could you? How could you? Ah. And so – but eventually I realized, okay, may- maybe the book is a little bit extreme. But I, I took a couple things that I had read in that book, and, and some things turned out to be true and some things – turned out maybe not to be true but anyway somebody talked about unsettled matters the other day on facebook and i posted i said i read the book 20 years ago and um since then i've traveled to hong kong because um a tom bleaker talks a lot about hong kong and triads and stuff like that and i go i've traveled a lot to hong kong and my assessment is that it, it wasn't the most accurate view of hong kong it was a little bit like you know, if you don't know anything about Hong Kong, Sean, and you talk about triads, like, remember when Bruce Lee died, everyone was like, oh, the triads killed him. But, you know, right, if some right, guy right. named Johnny down the block, some Puerto Rican Johnny tells you, I know who killed Bruce Lee was the triads, you know, he doesn't know shit, right? But that's right. that's the guy who's telling the other guy who's telling the other guy. So I'm like, I felt it was a little bit off base, but I said, since I read Matt Pauly's new book twice, I'm going to reread Unsettled Matters because I'm, I also know a lot more about Bruce Lee now than I did 20 years ago. And I want to see, okay, with fresh eyes, like, what what is what, you know. I can be a little bit more uh, assertive about what I think is BS and what is not. Right, right, and sure, so sure. so I get yesterday a private message from Tom Bleeker. <laughs> oh, my God. He sent me a Facebook message. Um, I'm not connected. I didn't even know he was on Facebook, but apparently the person who posted it, um, he's friends with him. So Tom Bleeker read my read my comment and then sends me a message like, well, you know, Hong Kong has changed a lot since the 70s and 60s. And maybe that's why you think that some of my obs- it actually was wasn't a, like an angry message. He was just basically telling me 
uh, hey kid, you've been to Hong Kong lately, but you don't know what Hong Kong was like in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a douchebag. But, but the funny yeah. thing is, although I, 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 admittedly, I'm I'm not old enough to know Hong Kong firsthand from the 70s, but as you know, Sean, one of my specialties in studying about Hong Kong history is Hong Kong from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's like my, right. that's my wheelhouse right there. It's like I will geek out about like the internal crime affairs at the police department in the late 60s in <laughs> Hong Kong and I will tell you that about how they created the internal affairs department in 74 so it was kind of a little condescending I'm like yeah I understand Cantonese a little bit and I know a little bit about that but I said but I will reread your book and and I will reassess it after 20 years right and he's like, okay, great. I would, I would love to hear what your comments are after 20 years. He was actually very neutral, but it was just weird. Like, oh my God, like Linda Lee's ex-husband is sending me a Facebook message, all like kind of a little angry that I, I said his book was a little off base. <laughs> yeah, he, he really got really nasty with Steve Golden on Facebook. Uh, I, 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 I remember Steve said something about that, but but Steve was very yeah. neutral about it because he's so, Yeah, Steve doesn't so care about Tom Bleeker. What does Steve care about Tom Bleeker, right, you know? Right. But it just, I just was like, and I'm not here to fight Steve's battles, so I didn't get involved. Right. But I, I'm sitting there. I, I mean, I really had no opinion of Tom Bleeker one way or another right. beforehand. Like, what do I care if he says Bruce Lee was a drug addict? Well, I give a shit. Sure. It doesn't matter to me. So, I'm, you know, so again, I had no opinion of Tom Bleeker whatsoever. And I, but I know Steve Golden, you know, 25 years. And... For him to be the way he attacked Steve Goldman, I just sat there and said, oh, this guy's just a douchebag. Right. I wouldn't bother reading his book. I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bend over to pick him up if he was, fell off a curb and hit his head. Like, I was just like, like, there's just not that, you know, there's not that many people I dislike. Yeah. And he's one of them. And it was just purely because of his actions on Facebook. Sure, I was just like, sure. yeah, they're what people are, like that. I'm like, what kind of grown man gets that worked up? Yes. On Facebook, like I'm like, what are you, a fucking sixteen year old girl upset that someone said something about Justin Bieber? Yeah. I mean, it was like, really, grow up. I, I think, so I was just like, you know what, fuck him. I, mean, I was I, just I think, done. I think, you know, when you write, I mean, he wrote a very controversial book about Bruce Lee. I mean, Linda Lee tried to get that book, just you know, like, try, I guess, tried to sue him or get him to not publish it or whatever. And if you write something really controversial, especially about somebody who's as well loved as Bruce Lee. You, you, you got to be prepared to understand the fact that people are just going to get upset about Like, let's say everything Tom Bleeker wrote in Unsettled Matters was true. All right. So let's say, like, he didn't exaggerate a single thing in that book. OK. Right. Mm -hmm. He still needs to be prepared for the fact that if he's the first person outing all this information about Bruce Lee and it's going to be unpopular, he needs to be ready to accept the, the the deluge of anger he's going to get from people who really love Bruce Lee and don't want to believe it. And you can decide that you're going to take it in stride and be like, look, this is what I, you know, or when people get really defensive after taking a controversial opinion, then you have to wonder, how sure are you? You know what I mean? Because, like, let's say I wrote a scathing tell-all book about... Uh, a famous martial Me. about you, you know, and then people are like, "How dare you say that about Sean?" And be like, "Hey, I knew him for years, and look, I have all the, I have all the evidence. You can come and look at it if you want." 
And I would, like, leave it at that, right? But I wouldn't be like, yo, man, screw you. Why are you saying? Like, the moment people get defensive, you have to wonder, if I knew that everything I wrote about you, Sean, was 100% true, even if people didn't like it, and trust me, nobody right. would like it if they actually if I actually wrote what I knew about you. Um, Listen, but, but I, what I do in the privacy of my kitchen is nobody's business. Right. But, but, like, <laughs> if, if people didn't like it, but I knew, like, hand to God it was true, Right. I would accept it, and there would be no reason for me to get defensive about it, right? So it's like the the, the defensiveness does usually never comes from a position of strength. It almost always comes from a position of weakness. So you have to kind of keep that in mind when people are attacked in the internet, and then how people react sometimes tells you it's just volumes. Like the dude is so insecure that he read a comment that you made twenty years after his book came out. Right. And he had to contact you to let you know, like, well, you don't know, you know. Hey, Sonny. You know, right. it, it reminded me a little bit of David Carradine when he called me son. Right. <laughs> you know, son, Hong Kong is not the same anymore. And he said, like, it's not the same since the communists took over. Like, like right. as if Hong Kong is now red China or something like that. God, <laughs> it's, it's so pathetic. Yeah, but, you know, for me, I'm like, I kind of geeked out a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know anything about him. I'm like, oh, I read this guy's book 20 years ago when I was a teenager. And I was sending me a Facebook message. It's kind of funny, right? Like, right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose um, I, I, I can't imagine if I wrote a book 20 years ago and then somebody then now, like, even 20 years from now, if somebody said something about my Siunam Tal book, I'd be like, Ugh. I mean, if somebody right. said it about my book now, I'd be like, Ugh. like I, right. you know. Like, could you imagine if some, if some guy said, oh, well, said some negative comment about your book as if some of the information was wrong? You're so secure in your fucking knowledge, you may turn around to one of your buddies and say, Look at this asshole, what he's saying here. <laughs> but you're not going to sit here and start debating some jerk off on Facebook because he doesn't understand something you wrote in your book or doesn't believe something in your book. Yeah, but, you know what, it just, but you know what's funny? Even uh, maybe it's just a test of what a geek I am. If, if somebody wrote a comment and said something in my book was wrong, do you know what my first instinct would be? It would be to read what the guy said and, and think about whether that person might have a point. Because, right. because you have to be that way if you want to improve, you know? And so yeah. I would first go, all right, it, it, it's kind of like my, a, a good friend of mine posted an amazing article today. He says, why you can't read bad, why you can't trust bad reviews online. Like if you want to go to a restaurant or you want to buy a, a, a product or something mm -hmm. like that. Because oftentimes bad reviews are written by people that, who might have a vendetta mm -hmm. Even sometimes bad reviews are written by people who just got a, a, a faulty product and then they returned it and the one they got was good. But they wrote about the first one they got that was broken, right? So it's like right. you have to look at the context of the comment. If it comes from a place of this person is attacking me maybe because that person doesn't like Leung Ting Wing Chun. So it doesn't matter if I'm Leung Ting or a Leung Ting follower or a WT guy. He would say it's all shit because that person doesn't like Leung Ting WT. All right. Is it coming from that place? Or or is it a Leung Ting guy that knows better than me? So I, I need to look at the context of the comment and decide whether it has merit. And if it has merit, I'll look into it. But I, I, I can't imagine getting defensive. I mean, it, it just seems so weak. Like, You know, it's like when, I remember years ago, and I'm talking many years ago, I would get so bent out of shape if someone would say something contradictory to my beliefs in Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do, mostly Jeet Kune Do. Or something about Steve Golden, 
about his length of training with Bruce Lee or what he was teaching as Jeet Kune Do. And I would get so bent out of shape and so angry and, and, and so upset. And then I hit puberty. <laughs> and, I, and, I was, and then I just realized, like, what do I care? Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't say I just realized. I remember Steve Golden calling me up and saying, like, why do you let these people get to you? Right. Like, what, what is it about them that makes you get upset at what they say? It's like, yeah, and, why and, would you and he, care? And he's the guy who's being attacked, and he doesn't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in fact, he told me, because one day I got into such a, a brouhaha with somebody over over him. And he said to me something like, all right, Sean, I'm forbidding you from defending me. <laughs> he said, because, he goes, if it doesn't bother me, the only thing that bothered me about that fight was me picturing you with your blood pressure going up. Mm. He goes, that was the only thing I cared about. The, the whole argument was I was sitting in the house saying, oh, you know, Sean has that blood pressure problem and he's getting so angry I don't want his blood pressure going up over what this jerk-off says. Like, and it made me realize, like, why do I care what people say on Facebook? Sure, sure. You know, like, that's back when I, this was back when I um, went with the whole big JKD thing. Yeah. That's when that whole, like, because, you know, before that I was doing, I, feel what I, I think I just called it, like, John Fon, John Fon G. Quindo or something to that effect. John Fon slash G. Quindo, whatever the hell I was using. And um, it was Steve Golden's wife, actually, Nancy, yeah. that came up with uh, Big JKD. Right, right. To kind of put it in people's and, face. Right. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, people, people say, hey, Sean, you're fat. I say, nah, I'm a beast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking tremendous, and I'll still kick your ass. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I just, and so anyway, so with, with Tom Bleeker, listen, he may be a fantastic Shotokan man. He may be a fantastic whatever the hell he was whatever art he was Kempo man he was Kempo guy I believe right uh, I, think, I think he was one of Ed Parker's guys could be seemed like everyone was an Ed Parker guy in LA yeah well listen Ed Parker had kind of had the he, he had a chain of schools back then I mean he had a he had you know I think I think he was one of I think he was one of Parker's guys I think he was in with the whole Santo crowd and everything sure. and um and he may be a brilliant guy. He may be able to kick my ass up and down Flatbush Avenue. I'm not saying any of that. None of that, none of that means anything to me. But the way he jumped all over Steve Golden, and I remember saying, like, wow, he's a 15-year-old girl. Right. Like, right. this is ridiculous. It was just so stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like I've had people, like, say on Facebook that they're going to kick my ass and everything, uh-huh. and they think, like, I'm going to come back at them. Oh, yeah, well, I'll fight you, and I'll... <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. You know, yeah, I, you're going to fight I, me. I Shut up, like, asshole. Like when I, I was also simil- in, in kind of a similar position, too, when I was still in Learning Things organization, you know. Uh, at that time, I was very in jo- I mean, there was like a time period where I was very much, as I talked about on the show many times, I called the Church of Learning at that time, you know. And, and yeah. I was very kind of a hardcore follower. And if somebody wrote something bad about Learning Ting online, I, you know, I, I wouldn't. I generally didn't waste my time going online and defending it or, or trying to, like, put the counter to it. I did it a couple times, but it never goes anywhere. But I would get very worked up about it. You know what I mean? Like, it would make me very angry because, you know, when you follow somebody and somebody is your teacher and you have a right. different relationship with them, it's like a, you, you view every kind of criticism as just as just an, uh, an, 
an ignorant attack. This person just doesn't like my teacher for whatever reason and they're just making shit up, right? And so I remember one time, you know, kind of before Facebook and social media was the thing, a lot of the interaction, as you know, because you had a very famous one, was on internet forums, right? You would go, right, sure. you would go online, and you know there would be forum forums, and there's this back and forth. And most of the Wing Chun forums were just god awful. And then the, there was a very famous. There were two famous ones. The Kung Fu Magazine one was kind of a big one, and then the uh, the Wing Chun Athletic Association, the Hong the Ving dot org yep. slash was a big. But it was just because there was. N- Unlike social media, you can still create a fake social media account, but now you kind of have your face and name attached to the right. shit that you write. So at least if you talk shit, it's kind of out there that you talk shit. But in those days, you would be like, you know, you were about as anonymous Mofo as you can possibly get. 17 says blah, right. blah, blah. And like, so you don't know who this guy is. And people generally, and if you were somebody who put your actual name out there, you would just get roasted by everyone who knew who you were, but you didn't know who they were, right? Right. And so Lang Tang was a very common target of, uh, you, you know, any of the famous guys have a lot of haters, but I mean... Oh. Like, Moyat too back then Moy- on the Kung Moyat, Fu magazine, oh my God. Moyat as well, and then, um, but even Wong Sun Leung had his haters, and, uh, and, and, you know, and William Chang, of course, like all the controversial guys and all the famous guys, right? And I remember, like, re- reading some of this stuff and just being so angry. Like, like sometimes they would even call Leung Ting, like, Ding Ding. Or, like, they would try to make fun of his Chinese name in a very, like, racist, stupid way, right? Yeah, right. So it's like, you're making a Chinese racist joke, yet I'm led to believe that you're somehow an expert in Wing Chun whose authority is un- unassailable. But you're making, like, a Ching Chong joke. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. But you're talking on a Wing Chun forearm, a forum, right? I keep saying forearms. Right? It's like a Freudian slip. Wing Chun forearms, right? Because I haven't said Wing Chun forum in like 12 years. <laughs> in a years, long time, right? right. <laughs> However, Wing Chun forearms, I say at least twice a day. So um, so anyway, like I remember that like there was just all this scathing shit on, on, online. And then my Sikong Leung Ting came and, and taught a seminar. And we were like in my uh, office and he was like on the computer and he goes, uh, oh, Alex, come look at this. And then I thought he was going to show me a video and he just shows me something that somebody sent them from the forum. And it was just somebody like roasting Long Ting. And he goes, <laughs> look, look, this is so funny. And then, and then he's like reading it and, and he was like laughing at it because the thing was totally off base. Like the guy was like accusing Leung Ting of like I don't know like name it I don't rob, robbing a bank and then you know having right. having sex with the manager's wife while he was doing it like whatever it was right and like Leung Ting thought it was so funny he was just laughing and he's like oh and then, <laughs> and then Sifu Kernspeck they called him Kearney and he's like ah they call him Kearney ha ha and then he's like saying all this stuff. and it was so funny to realize like had I read this thing on my own I would have, my face would have turned red and I would have wanted to punch somebody in the face. Right, and right, right. The, sure. And here's the guy who's being attacked by, and he's like, he's belly laughing at it, like from the gut, thinking it's totally funny. You know what I mean? And, and then I was like, right. all right, if he can laugh at it, like then I really need to like stop with this nonsense, you know? And, right, and sure, that, that sure. Was, that was a very pivotal moment for me when I realized like, oh, he doesn't even care. Why should I? Yeah, right, exactly right. I mean, at some point, like, you have to just, like, grow up and let things go. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I always say, like, online, it's the the power of okay. People say, oh, you suck. Okay. 
you know, Bruce Lee sucked. Okay, Chikindo sucks. Okay, yes, yes. your sucks. Okay. Yes. Well, I, I think it's also interesting, like, um, because if you look at it, it's a very common pattern. If if you and I have a conversation, let's say off the air about a seafood, somebody we know, and let's say we say something, maybe we both share an opinion that's not super positive of somebody, right? There's a way to frame it in a way like, look, this is what I heard, this is what I think, I don't know. I'm not saying it's fact, I'm not saying it's true, we can have a discussion about it, but it can be done without a value judgment, right? But the problem is most people don't actually comment that way. People comment as if a subjective fact, a, a subjective opinion is an objective fact. And, and that is the problem. Like, like, like they're, basically, they're basically saying like, you know, well, so-and-so didn't really learn Wing Chun from so-and-so. And then as if that that's like the mic drop that's going to decimate that person's entire lineage, right? But let's say somebody says that about your own seafood. And it's like, what are you talking about? My Sivu learned from it. Da, 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 da. But what people don't realize is the comment they make about a somebody else, they view it as either fact or opinion. But if somebody makes the same comment towards their own lineage, now it's politics. But they right, don't right. recognize that they're doing the same thing to other people. It's like, it doesn't make it not politics because it's not your Sifu, right? So I think right. people need to speak more mindfully. I mean, if I have an opinion uh, about William Chang, all right? Or I have an opinion about Wong Sun Leung or Wang Kam Leung or even Leung Teng, right? It's an opinion based on my experience, my research and my perspective. And it's not necessarily 100% true. It's just my opinion, it's just what I uh, have observed, right? And if somebody wants to talk to me about it, I can have a totally civil conversation because I'm not emotionally invested. If somebody wants to tell me Leung Ting was not a real student of Yip Man, I'm not emotionally invested. If somebody wants to right. say William Chung created his own style, we can discuss. I'm not emotionally, like, I would like to just have the conversation without anybody going like, bleh, 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 bleh. but very few people can do that. And very few people realize that the same exact thing they say about somebody else, if turned towards them, suddenly becomes politics. You got to know when what you're talking is politics. And if you're going to talk politics, own own up to it. Admit it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, so, sure. Like, right. Don't pretend that your opinions on other seafoods is objective fact. But anyone's opinion on your seafood is just nonsense and politics. Because only you know about your seafood or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like. Right. It's true. I, I remember one time years ago. uh Someone shitted on Steve saying like, oh, you only trained in Bruce Lee's backyard for two years or whatever it was. And I remember Steve said, well, oh, oh, okay, is that the number? All right. And he goes, well, it's only two years. You know, my seafood was there for six. And he goes, cool. How long were you there for? I don't remember seeing you. And he's like, well, no, but my seafood was there longer than yours. He's like, well, then you should train with him. Because right. he, I'm sure he's really good. <laughs> and Steve, I remember Steve saying, like, I don't care if a guy sat next to Bruce Lee on the bus. Yeah. If he got it, he got it. Right, right. If he understands it, he understands it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter the length of time. And I remember that was the first time, like, like I remember, like, there was this uh, page from Bruce Lee's attendance sheet. 
like for this one week in like June of 1968, where it shows Steve Golden was only at class one night that week. Uh-huh. And like I said, like, you know, whatever. Jerry Petit, six nights. This guy, five nights. This guy, four nights. This guy, four nights. And it shows Steve one night. Uh-huh. And, it, and I remember they said, like, oh, look, he was only there one night. And Steve, remember Steve Poston? He goes, wow. In June of 1968, I, I guess I had to work late some nights. <laughs> like, so does that disqualify every other time? Yeah, of course. Every other week? We're supposed to take that one week and extrapolate my whole career with Steve Bruce Lee? Yeah. I mean, the, the these timeline things, it's like, of course, if somebody learns Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do for five months, six months or whatever from who knows whom, and then they claim that there's some great teacher or master or whatever. I mean, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna wonder a little bit. But what people don't understand is like, and I made this point before, but this this is a point that always bears repeating. I mean, Yip Man started Wing Chun with his Sifu Chan Ma Shun when he was 11. Chan Ma Shun wow. died when Yip Man was 13. Okay, right. so I mean. All these, especially these super conservative students of Yip Man. Oh, you have to learn directly from the Sifu, otherwise you haven't learned anything for real and blah, 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 blah. Well, then we have to believe that Yip Man's real martial arts attainment happened between the age of 11 and 13 because that was the only time his Sifu was alive. And we, everyone knows that Yip Man was mostly trained by his Sihing Ng Chong So for most of the time he was in China. So Yip Man is somebody that spent a majority of his career learning from someone who's so-called in the same generation as he is, goes on to become one of the most iconic masters of the arts, right? But this idea that like your Sifu is the only determining factor in your success or understanding as a martial artist, yes, if you don't have a good teacher at some point in your career, yeah, it's probably gonna be hard to become anything and every good martial artist had a good teacher at some point, usually, right? But the right, amount sure. of time that you spend with them, the amount of influence they have, this varies greatly on context, the amount of how intuitive somebody is. I mean, I've had students, they train with me for one year and they get it and they're super hardcore. And I've got guys that have been with me for four years and they're not bad, but they, 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 they still haven't bridged that moment that the other guy did in one year. So then the guy who's been there for four years has been there longer and is technically the senior. So how do you quantify that after right. 10 years, after 20 years, after 30 years, right? And these are, these are specious arguments that people hide behind because if they're not really good, they hide behind their lineage, their rank, how long they were around. And if people actually care about skill, they talk about skill. They don't talk about who was there first, how many times, how many nights, this, that, and the other thing. You know, so it, it's, it, it always seems, again, kind of like a weak argument when people have to go to that. And, and anybody that's ever trained at a martial arts school, a real martial arts school, knows you, you learn more from your scenes than from your instructor anyway. Well, of I course, mean, you're training it's, it's with just, them, you're it, interfacing with them more than with your Sifu for the most part. I remember, and, and I told Tom Kagan this, so it's, this is not like I'm outing something. I remember one time when I started training with, well, not when I started, when I, when I let people know that I was training with uh, my Sifu, my Wing Chun Sifu, some guy sent me a private message on Facebook as if like he's letting me in on the, the no. He goes, I just want you to know, I'm not knocking your Sifu. But I have friends of mine that were around back when he was learning. 
And he learned more from his seeings than he did from Moya. And I remember laughing, and I remember showing my teacher. And he laughed, and he goes, yeah, no, that, that's true. I learned almost everything I know from my seeings. Right. He says, you know, Moyat may introduce you to something and then go, go talk to William. He'll show you how to do it. Like, you know, right, of course, of or, or here's an idea. Go train. And while you're training, you're, you're seeings, and in, in my Sifu's case, Miguel and, and William and they would oh no no do it try this way oh no no I feel this let's work so you learn more from working with the guys you work with of course. you know you're not you weren't learning chi sao by doing chi sao with moya right you know what I mean you would, and, and and it's just so like it's such a pathetic attempt at trying to knock people down yeah, yeah and because because this, this ultra conservative idea I mean it's born out of Chinese culture you know. The Sifu being the patriarchal figure, head of household, so to speak, for the Kung Fu family. The amount of time and, and, and attention you get from Sifu is like, how much did daddy love me as opposed to how much right, did daddy right, love sure. you, right? But that doesn't... The, the problem is that, and what I think the very traditional Chinese martial arts people don't understand is that, yes, in theory, if you have a very good Sifu and that Sifu takes you under his wing or her wing and really trains you and gives you everything and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, your attainment should be higher because you got better training or whatever, right? But the problem is we know that there is a huge gap between a theoretical Sifu Todai relationship and then what actually happens in the real world, right? Where, sure, where sure, that right. Sifu also has 20 other students to teach. And you are a beginner and they would rather you learn a bunch of basics first before they want to even bother touching hands with you. So it's actually your seeing that's going to teach you all your basics until you're like at least good enough to start sticking hands with the instructor or whatever. And that person's intuition, their hard work, their ability to interface with other people and practice and get good at it and then internalize the information does a lot more, says a lot more for what their attainment is ultimately going to be than how much daddy time they got with Sifu, right? Because right. we all know that there are a lot of people who they can kiss the Sifu's ass, they can be like the, um, the teacher's pet, so to speak, but that does not necessarily mean that that's the person you go to learn from. Like, I have students that are very close to me that are really, really high level and they're very good in, in my school. And I have students that are close to me that they're close to me because I just like them. You know what I mean? They're not close to me because they're the best in my school. I just really like them. You know what I mean? And, right. And luckily, those students that I really like, they're not taking advantage of the fact that they have a relationship with me to sell themselves to other people. But this easily happens in Chinese martial arts in general. Oh, look at me. I hung out with Sifu here and there and blah, 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 blah. I was his favorite student. Well favorite student might just mean out of all of his students he liked you the most personally but that right. doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> but even he thought you sucked <laughs> yeah, exactly. i mean like favorite student doesn't mean best student favorite student doesn't right. mean best teacher favorite student doesn't mean best fighter it literally just means that favorite student right and, right and, sure. and even that seems kind of like okay so so then what? I mean, like, what, like, I mean, you're basically saying this person likes me a lot. And that's a strange thing to say, like, especially for someone who passed away. Like, I, right. I, I've had very close friends that have passed away. 
And I would find it really weird, especially out of a martial arts context, to go like, well, I was so-and-so's best friend, someone who had passed away. I, I would right. I would find that a really odd thing to say, even if I knew it was true. Or maybe right. especially if I knew it was true, because it just seems like, am I trying to then somehow say that that means I'm more important? I was more important to him than people in his family or other friends that he had. Like, right, it, right, it, right. It, 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 it's just so... They always speak like in absolutes, and we know that only Sith lords speak in absolutes. Okay? <laughs> so whenever someone speaks in absolutes about who they are to somebody or whatever, I mean, that, that it's just strange. You, it, I, I tell my students, disassociate the martial arts aspect. Okay, would you talk this way about somebody in your family? And if, right. it, if it passes the, okay, this is not creepy factor, then it's okay. But if it's creepy that you would speak that way about anybody in any other context, it's creepy in martial arts. And right. so, you know, that, that I find is kind of a good litmus test for whether you are, you know, kind of a, a bit out there in the whole kind of, you know, I'm, I'm daddy's favorite student type thing, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And... Um... I it it and it's also this and I and I I don't want to say Chinese martial arts because I really think it's it's almost in all martial arts. There's this other idea of people wanting to ruin what's good for you. Right. Um, there's quasi famous people. There's one notoriously famous guy in my world. He's just like an uber douche. And. Well, I guess he didn't get along with Moyat at some point in his career. And whenever I would post something about Moyat in a positive way, he would say, he would knock down, oh, Moyat did this and Moyat did that. And I bet you didn't know this about Moyat. And I bet you didn't know this. And it was one time Moyat would drop off uh, artwork and then charge the guy. And like, none of this had an effect on me. Like, I won. I wasn't, I didn't even know the guy. I didn't even know Moyat. <laughs> I mean, like, I never met him. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's my teacher's teacher. It's like, okay, so what? Like, you know, but like this idea of like, and, and I don't know you. Yeah. So why do you care if I'm happy? Exactly. Like, like I'm happy. I remember, and I remember it stemming from someone saying, oh, Sean, why don't you do this lineage instead of that lineage? And me saying, well, you know what? I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy with what I'm doing. Well, but what you're doing is not considered, you know, Moyat was never a fighter. Moyat was never a fighter, and your teacher was never known as a fighter in that school. So, so you're probably not learning the best fighting. And I'm like, so I remember typing, what part of, but I'm happy, don't you get? Right. I'm really happy. Like, I enjoy what I'm doing. Yes. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand... The, I, I don't understand your motivation. You're not helping me by telling me to leave what I'm doing. Right. You may pretend like you are, but you're not. You're just trying to make a dig on me, is it? And 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 because you have a little bit of a name, I guess you're used to people saying, "Oh well, so and so said." Right. So I probably should listen. I'm not going to listen because I don't care. Yeah. I had to Google who you are because I really am not sure. <laughs> that was my answer. I had to Google. Apparently, you're somebody. <laughs> what a great way to kick somebody down a peg. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I said though, I, I remember posting. 
I, yeah, I suppose it's something to the effect of like, apparently you're somebody. I had to Google to find out who you are, and now I get why you don't like Moyat. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I, you know, but the Google pages that had information about you were really old. Right. You know, so, I, I, you know, sorry, I just, I'm not leaving what I'm doing. I'm happy. Yeah, I, you know, I it's think, like, in, in my opinion, I think the only time... And it, and I'm not and I'm not endorsing it, but I think the only time where there ever should be a legitimate beef, and I don't even believe that this really should be a legitimate beef, is like, let's say if a student left a sifu that like taught them everything, and then they like kicked their sifu and you know like stabbed their sifu right. behind the back and opened their own school across the street, and you know and 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 they didn't go to a new teacher, they're 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 just doing what they learned, and then they say like, oh that guy is terrible. It's like well you came from us and we're the one who taught you and now you're teaching what you you're saying we're terrible but you're teaching what we taught you right (laughs) i think like okay well it's understandable if like their students would have a beef with the guy who left right like but even there i go like but then who cares he left you're with the original sivu you should be happy like why do you care what somebody else does right like let them do their own thing right but i think maybe and and that i wouldn't even say people should really give a crap about but i like anything outside of that it's like it's the same thing like when i talk to my brazilian jiu-jitsu friends right so i have friends on let's say and even brazilian jiu-jitsu has more conservative factions and more uh um kind of new school versions right so there is there's a conservative faction of brazilian jiu-jitsu which is more like the whole old uh elio gracie style which is about self-defense it's about like you know uh, take the person down and let the person wear themselves out and then you can go and and uh, put them in a submission that kind of the the long fight we can fight for an hour I'm just gonna hold on to you and you get tired right, and right, I'll right. you out right and then there's the new school which is like no you got to attack 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 you take them down you go for this uh, submission you go for that submission and then if this doesn't work you look go into this chain this chain this chain and these are within Brazilian jiu-jitsu two very widely different Approaches to essentially what's essentially the same art, right? Right, right. And it's right. funny because I have friends, I'm not going to say who they are, who are high level, like let's just say top of the food chain on both sides of that fence. And I'm friends with both of them. And right, it's interesting right. because, like, for me, I'm like, I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm not like a Brazilian jiu jitsu guy, right? But it's interesting, like, to listen to the one faction go, like, look, the new school jiu jitsu, they don't even pay attention to self defense. Some of the new school jiu jitsu guys, because they only learn sport jiu jitsu, they got to go to Krav Maga to learn how to defend against a hook punch, right? And, the, and the, the, you know, the old school guys are like, we teach our students how to defend hooks and swings and headlocks in addition to grappling on the ground. And then, right. and then you go to the new school guys, and they're like, oh, those guys are so outdated. They don't even do leg locks. They try to play guard with you. You can just leg lock them all day. They can't even they can't even counter it. And then those guys <laughs> say leg locks are no good. And then, and then it's so funny, and I go, as much as Wing Chun and JKD people think that they're the only people who live with this kind of constant strife between the factions of the same art, um, right, right, right. The, the, the reason that people are not attuned to it is because if you're not a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, you're not aware right. of the little rivalries and the horse shit that goes on between Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools. Muay Thai has it too. Kyokushin Karate, after the death of Masoyama, could not even settle on who the successor was. Right, And there right, were some right. people that claimed that Masoyama was even murdered. So, like, the thing is, it's like, now my students go, like, man, to do... 
do other martial arts have the politics that Wing Chun has? And I go, yeah, they all do. It's just, it's just you don't care about it because you're not in those martial right, arts. Right, right, right. Sure, if, sure, if, sure. If I told you, you know, that's, that uh, Chu Chi Ling from Kung Fu Hustle claimed that his parents learned from Lam Sai Wing, but everyone knows that his parents learned from Lam Cho, you wouldn't give two shits about that. But say that same exact thing in a certain tea house in Hong Kong with certain people at the table and you might be having to get gear up for a fight. So it's like, it's just <laughs> a matter of what room are you in? What audience do you have? And what do you right. care about? Right. So, right. but it goes on everywhere. It's human nature. It's absolute human nature. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Cool. Oh man, this, this is a lot of fun, man. I had a great time tonight. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again. I think we'll probably be back in two weeks. Uh, because I am right. teaching my ITC uh, this week. The podcast comes out. I'm teaching a week-long summer camp at my school where I got people coming from all over the place to come learn from me, and I will be totally exhausted and beat the whole week. So we'll probably reconvene in two weeks and have our next episode. Sounds like a plan, brother. Awesome, man. We'll talk then. Talk to you then, man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Boom. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!